and also thanks for asking people what they're thankful for. I like to hear what people are thankful for. We are in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 14 this morning is our text. And I'm going to ask if you'll stand in our awesome God's honor as I read the text aloud. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful that I'm able to bow my heart on my knees this morning, Lord, to you. Amen. Father, for each of us, as we bow our hearts to you, the living God, we have so much to be grateful for, Lord. And we tend to grumble. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, as we look at this example of the Apostle Paul this morning, how he learned about you, God, may we also learn about you. So, God, I, I pray that you speak. And, and Father, I just pray you take my weakness and inability and cover it with you. In Christ's name we pray. Back in the early 2000s, there was this album that I listened to, and I listened to it so much, um, I thought I was going to wear it out. And I've done that with a, with a couple of albums. But it was interesting, this week, I saw a documentary, uh, just happened to see it, and I was interested in it, because I remember how I loved the album. And it sh gave the background, the story of the album. That's an album by Michael W. Smith worship first worship album and I remember uh, it was just a tough time in my life that I was going through and how those songs ministered to me and what I discovered was Michael W. Smith said it was right after 911 and that horrific loss of life what a terrible tragedy and Michael said, uh, at that time, you know, to be honest with you, uh, being a famous Christian artist wasn't so great. He, he, he said it was just a constant competition. Can I sell more records than this artist? Or can I draw a larger crowd when we have concerts and when I'm on tour? Or, you know, can, can I draw the biggest crowd at the concert? And he, he said... That was not why he began singing for the Lord. And so where there should have been a fullness because he was highly popular at the time, people knew his name and he was winning all these awards, but there was an emptiness. And so he began to talk with some other friends who were also well-known artists. 
And he said they decided they were going to meet privately. And they were just going to worship Jesus. And he said it was life-changing. As he came together with other artists and they met privately, no one else knew. And, and man, they just started writing songs and they just started singing to Christ. And their focus began to change. And, and then Michael said, I ended up calling 75 of my Christian artist friends. And I said, guys, God has laid it on my heart. Why don't we form a choir? And why don't we come together, check our egos at the door, mine included, and let's just do an album that's worship of Jesus Christ. And, you know, there were a bunch of names that started calling you. You'd recognize some of those names probably if you're an old dog like me and remember some of them. <laughs> but anyway, um, they gathered. And that's in the documentary. It actually showed film. He said, you know, I, Michael said, I, I just prayed that, God, you would touch, you would touch this album as you've touched us as artists as we've been able to worship together. And so the worship album was born. I remember a couple of songs that, that I watched on there that meant so much to me, Above All and The Heart of Worship. And they actually had the guy who wrote The Heart of Worship who sang that song, um, Matt Redden. And that, and that was, you know, that was pretty awesome. And, and so anyway, um, it made me think of Ecclesiastes 5.10 that says, Whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. You see, you can get on the constant chase. I'm going to be happy when I get this. I'm going to be happy when I achieve this. And yet, that is never enough. What satisfied Michael when it seemed like he was climbing to the top, whatever the top is, was Jesus. It was that worship of Christ. He found what he longed for desperately when he began to seek not more, but the one who is enough. You know, it's interesting. Dennis Johnson, uh, he had wrote tongue-in-cheek, but it, it, it's pretty wise saying. He said, that our whole economic health in the United States depends on the cultivation of discontent. I just got to have this product that I saw on that commercial. That will change my life. And if you think about it, this certainly didn't start with American culture, but if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when there was that fruit that was just, oh, so tempting, you just got to. You just gotta have it. And so started this culture of discontent that entered through sin and, and then became just a fixture in the life of people. I gotta have more. Listen to this uh, poem by Jason Lehman that expresses this. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was autumn I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was autumn, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. Then I retired, and it was middle age I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. The life is now nearing the end, my life. 
and I never got what I wanted. Wow, the discontent that lives in so many. Uh, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, 300 years ago wrote this, Discontent dislocates the soul. It dries the brain. It corrodes the comfort of life. And it wastes the spirit away. I want to look this morning at the words of another man of God, the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 4, our text, 10 through 14. And we're going to look at four words and four truths that lead to contentment. That we long for. The first one, the first word is gratitude. Notice verse 10, what the Apostle, what Paul the Apostle says. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. You see, Paul was determined to appreciate what he had and not what he wanted, what he didn't have. That is, that is so clear. He said, I rejoice in the Lord. What did he have to rejoice for? Well, let's look at his circumstances. He's chained between two guards. I don't think he had gourmet food to eat in that prison. As a matter of fact, I, there wasn't enough of it, and he probably had bugs flying around. It probably wasn't you know, that good, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and he probably felt abandoned and alone. It would have been very easy for him to think about what he didn't have. But that's not what he did. Look what he tells us in the scripture. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned. What would have been very easy for the apostle to say, sure did take you a long time to notice me. Sure did take you a long time to get back to me. Are you sure you thought about me at all? I've been lonely here. I've been suffering. I've been struggling. Where have you been? But that is not what he did. I love the way he expresses this to them in this letter. <laughs> he says, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. In other words, he took, he took for granted that God loved him and that the church loved him. He didn't try to chase these thoughts of, of ingratitude and, and of what he wanted but didn't have. He was grateful that, yes, they did care about him. And, and this picture of renewed your concern, it's an interesting word picture of flowers that bloom in the springtime. And so he is basically referring here, he, he could have said, this guy that's living in chains, he could have said, boy, death is all around me. But instead what he said is, I'm living in a garden. There is blessing around me, even in what looks like death. So we need to appreciate what we have and not constantly live for what we want to have, but know the contentment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it shows us that God's people were having trouble. Many of them were impoverished. Many of them wanted to send gifts, but they didn't have enough for themselves. And so maybe Paul was considering that, you know what, I'm not the only one going through a difficult time. And I think that's really wise for all of us. Sometimes when we look around and say, well, why did that person act that way? Or, or why, why are they not responding to my needs, my needs? Maybe we need to stop and think, maybe they have needs too. Maybe they too are facing a terrible problem. And I love that. Paul says, it's okay 
that you were not able to get to me as quickly as I would like, I still have a garden. I still have beauty around me from the blessings that you have given to me. I want to live in gratitude. Number two, the second word is responsibility. Not only did he appreciate what he had, but he was ready to apply what he learned. And this is also critical. Look at verse 11 in our text. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And the language speaks of learning through experience. Man, those tough times come. Uh, certainly this is more of a curse than it is a blessing. But in those difficult times, it is a school of learning. It is a place to learn about the goodness of God. To, to be able to time, maybe not to understand fully what's going on, but if you stay faithful, if you stay responsible, there will be a time where you can look back and see that God was in this all along. That He was teaching me. It didn't come automatically, but it came as I continued to be faithful and as I continued to be responsible to Him. And it is a word, I thought this was interesting. One commentator brought out this point. He said that the phrase literally speaks of not expectations of what ought to be. We talked about this in Sunday school, how, how we often tend to pray, God, this is the way it's supposed to be. I've got this figured out, God. This is how I want this answered. It's not supposed to be that way. It's not how things ought to be, but Lord, rather how things are to be according to your will. And it is a picture of touching something lightly, touching the outward expectations lightly, because it, the commentator said the phrase itself speaks of not trusting in resources that are outside, but on the resource of Christ inside. It is touching lightly to those external resources, but holding with a, a grip to the grace of God. A, a grip that is dependable, that, that trusts within Him. I love what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, perseverance. And to perseverance, self-control. And to self-control, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. He said, hey, for if you have these things in increasing measure, you're not going to be blind, but you're going to be able to clearly see the will and the heart of God. What happens? We need to use what God teaches us. We need to apply what He reveals to us. So critical. One pastor told a story of he was trying to teach his young children about the value of money. And so he used an envelope system. He had different envelopes. He had one envelope that money was placed in there to give, another to save, another to spend, and so on. And he thought he was doing a pretty good job. One day he came home, though, and he had a Band-Aid on his arm, and his daughter, who was in the second grade, looked at him and said, uh, Dad, why the Band-Aid? And he went on to explain, Well, honey, I went ahead to take this test because I'm trying to get an insurance policy, a life insurance policy. In case something happened to me, I want to make sure that all of you are cared for. She goes, what, what's a life insurance policy? And so he began to try to explain that. And he said, 
And he said, if something happens to me, you'll receive $250,000. And her eyes lit up real big, and she said, for each of us? He said, oh, maybe I didn't quite get the point across. Is she thinking about more money for me? So we need to practice, not, not what we think it ought to be. But God, show me what you want it to be. Listen to these words from Charles Spurgeon on this text. He said, contentment's not something that may be exercised naturally, but a science that's acquired gradually. Brother and sister, hush that complaint as natural as it is and continue as a diligent student in the college of contentment. Hey, stay in school. Practice the assignments God gives. Third, third word, acceptance. Not only should we appreciate what we have and apply what we learn, except wherever you are. Look at verse 12. (laughs) I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. It's interesting, as Paul shares his testimony in different places in the Scripture, this was not a guy that had an easy time. Matter of fact, he, he talks about stonings, he talks about beatings, he talks about going hungry, he talks about many different kinds of suffering. I want to read, this is just from Second uh, Corinthians 6, 4, and 5. Uh, just in these two verses, uh, he says, uh, Afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, sleepless nights, hunger. And here's from Second Corinthians 11. Five times, 40 lashes, less one. Three times beaten with rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked. A night and day adrift at sea, uh, danger from rivers, robbers, uh, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger everywhere. You know, that's uh, my interpretation. It, it was all around him. It, if you were looking for a guy who would appear to be content, who would say, finally, this hard stuff has passed, and I know God loves me now. You're looking for the wrong guy, because this is not Paul. Paul continued to face troubles, but his faith was not based in the external substitutes that bring peace of mind, but in the internal resource of Jesus Christ, who is peace even in the midst of the storm. That is what he provided in the Lord, and that's where the apostle was. That's where his faith came from, in the depth of Christ. Matter of fact, in verse 14, it's beautiful. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Even there were troubles. And that leads to this last word here. It's dependence. Dependence. Appreciate what you have. Apply what you learn. Accept wherever you are. And abandon to Christ whatever you do. Look at verse 12 of our text. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. He learned. And that word learned, uh, to those who uh, read that, would understand it was a word typically used in the mystery religions of old as they would be initiated into that religion. They would have to learn the secrets of being an insider, being a a faithful one in that religion, what that meant. And and Paul said, this is not about secret handshakes, 
Uh, this is not about having a Dakota ring or, you know, whatever it is. I'm not sure it is. Uh, to, to know the secrets. This is about Christ. And he says, let me tell you what I have learned through this hardship, through following these principles. And it's a verse that we quote many times. We put it on shirts. We put it on ball caps. Some people even have it on jewelry that they wear around their neck. Philippians 4, 13. It's one of those verses. Uh, I guess I've heard it enough and tried to learn it in different translations. I can't get it right because I've got about five translations floating around in my head. But what a verse. I actually want to read it. This is from the Amplified. I always joke about classic because, you know, I'm old enough where they pass me by with one that's not classic. I'm classic, I guess. But anyway, verse 13, I have strength. For all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Paul doesn't say here, I can do everything I want through Christ. He doesn't say here, I can do anything that I choose to do through Christ. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me, who strengthens me. But what are those things? The things that God calls me to do. The things that God leads me to do. Not merely what I want to do, but to follow Him. And through that may be hardship. I can overcome hunger. I, I can overcome resentment. I, I can overcome being the low guy on the totem pole or the lowest one on the food chain. I can deal with what comes before me through the strength of Christ. So what is he, uh, what's he asking? What's he asking of you today? Where has he placed you today? What situation are you in? What are you facing? What challenges this coming week? What heartaches are you carrying? What pressures? What losses? What promotions have you experienced? What abundance do you have that you need wisdom and balance and grace in carrying that? You see, Paul says, here's, here's the secret. The secret is God promises that you can do everything he calls you to do by depending upon his indwelling presence in your life. So what's that look like? Well, if I had the presence of Albert Einstein in my life, I might could do some math problems. Math was always one of those subjects I didn't like too much. It was hard for me. I can remember when I went to college and I took this calculus class, and man, I tried so hard. I had tutors. I even had the teacher. And the teacher, uh, she must have been a Christian because she had great compassion on me. She said, can you see the problem? Do you need glasses? But it was just so hard. It was just so hard for me. But if I had Albert Einstein living, man, you know what? Not only could I solve the math problems, I could get on the board and say, Teacher, I'm going to write a problem up here you can't get. Woohoo! You know? Or let's say that if I had Picasso living in me, man, could I paint? Now, you might look at it and say, I have no idea what that is, but it'll sell for $30 million. <laughs> you know, but there would be this great gift within me. Or Mozart. Man, I. You know, one of the things that was so awesome in that documentary, that worship documentary, I watched, they had uh, 
had a, um, a whole orchestra up there as part of the music, and it was just so, man, it was awesome. And to see those musicians crying as they worshiped, they were so filled with emotion as they were worshiping. Man, that'd be awesome. I'd love to be able to do that stuff. I like music, but I don't really know music. I'll never forget, I was trying to learn how to play guitar, and I went to a friend of mine that can play a bunch of instruments. And I said, Kenny, I said, man, what do I do? How do I learn to play? He said, well, you just pick it up and you play it. I said, dude, that's not how it works for me. I pick it up and play it, but that, that's not what happens. But he, he, had, he had just a gift that God had given him. <sighs> and then Michelangelo, man, the incredible paintings that he did, some that people would not normally see because they were so far away in the Sistine Chapel, or the sculptures. I'm amazed that they can take a block of granite and somebody see something in there and carve it out. And if I started carving, I'd just, man, I'd knock it off, probably fall on my foot or something, break my foot. But, you know, just a, a gift. But think about it. You have Jesus Christ living in you. You have the power of God available to you when you submit before Him. So the secret to commitment is not trying harder, but inviting Christ to take over, to take control. And you abandon, when you abandon whatever you do, when you accept wherever you are, when you apply whatever you learn and you appreciate whatever you have, in the end you realize you have Christ. And when you have Him, when you have His authority and His protection and His wisdom, how can you not have joy? The great missionary and explorer David Livingston served in Africa from 1840 to 1873. He faced a lot of trials. One of them was health issues. He took with him everywhere a goat that he had to drink goat milk because even the water in Africa made him sick. And he wanted to reach a part of Africa that he had not been able to enter. And so he went to a powerful chief in that region. And there was an invitation to come and to visit the chief. And you would lay out your possessions before the chief. and He would pick something from your possessions. And then he would offer you something in return. And so Livingston went, and he didn't have many possessions. He had a watch, and he had a few other items, and his prized possession, his goat, goat milk. So you know what happened. He presented those possessions before the chief. He looked at all the different possessions and said, I'll take the goat. And so in return, he gave to Livingston a walking stick kind of curved at the top, carved specifically for the chief. So uh, Livingston, he left, and he was really disappointed. God, you know I need that goat. I can't stand being sick all the time. I need that goat. And what I get in return? A stupid walking stick. What good is a walking stick going to do me? He grumbled to God as they walked along. And one of the guys with him said, I don't think you understand the significance of this walking stick. What do you mean? This is a scepter. 
this king. It is a sign of this king. And if you have this scepter and you walk into a village, it is as if they are receiving the king himself. And you know what? He began to enter into these villages where before he did not have passage. And it also paved the way for other missionaries who were able to share the gospel and many came to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, in the book, that author that tells the story, he, he shared these words. Sometimes in our disappointment over what we don't have, we fail to appreciate the significance of what we do have. What we have been given in the good and gracious providence of God. May we not take for granted what we have, guys. The gift in Christ that enables us to live in his power, with his presence, for his purposes. You know, uh, I thought about that worship album and I thought about the deep emotion as I watched those artists sing before the Lord and how they were empty because they were trying to be somebody. And then when they began to worship the one who is somebody, it all changed. I close with the words of Matt Redman. King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, and it's all about you. It's all about you. Jesus, it is all about you. Uh, we have burdens that we've been carrying. You know what they are. Father, I pray that you allow us to see you, that worship may take those away. Father, that a contentment would replace the discontent. And Father, that we would simply realize we may not have a scepter or what we think is a walking stick. We have more. We have Jesus himself inside the Holy Spirit who is able to give what we need and fill what we lack. Thank you in this Thanksgiving, Father. We are thankful for you. And I pray, Father, uh, that you would have freedom in this time we call invitation to move among us. You know where we are, Lord. You know our junk. Father, bring, bring it out and bring us to you. Father, if we need to walk down the aisle this morning to an altar and make a decision, cover it before people, you know, we walk down. If we need to walk across the aisle and say, forgive me, may we do that. But Father, may we walk in Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.